Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, the number one show at 5 o'clock, Cats at Night. And in the studio with us is we have two common sense Democrats. We have Judge Richard Weinberg and we have uh, former Governor uh, David Patterson. What happened to all the Republicans? They're looking for the wave. Was this a search for the wave? They're looking for the wave? They're looking for the wave. And, and, and Governor Patterson, how come you're not down in Somos? I mean, I thought every Democrat in New York State was down in Somos. Uh, every Democrat, uh, a lot of Democrats go down there to Puerto Rico for a few days after the election. I understand they're making deals down there that you wouldn't even want to talk about. Yeah, that's why I thought I should stay here. <laughs> We're the governor's alibi. And yes. Lydia Serrano, how are you, Lydia? I'm doing well, sir. Who do we, we have on? We have some great show today. and uh, we, We're going to be speaking to former Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, Congressman-elect Assemblyman Mike Lawler, Ryan Payne, Steve Moore, as well as Congressman-elect Chairman Nick Langworthy. But first on the line, we have the Honorable Carl Rove. He was a Republican. He is a Republican policy advisor. He was a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff during the George W. Bush administration. Welcome back to Cats at Night. So we, we figured out, Carl, Carl, we figured out. There's nobody knows what's going on other than you. Tell us what's going what's going on with the GOP. Are we still looking for that red wave? Uh, you tell us. Well, it, as you may remember, when we talked about this earlier, my view was that we were going to be lucky to get between 20 and 25 seats in the House. And it looks like we're not going to get even that. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we and, and five or six with, of them are coming from New York State. How is that possible? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how that's possible. Lee Zeldin ran a hell of a race, mobilized uh, Long Island and mobilized upstate over the issue of crime. And he was assisted in this. I don't know exactly how he arranged this, but he was assisted in this by the tone deaf response of your sitting governor. And, uh, you know, I actually I know Mike Lawler. We're, we're friends. I did a fundraiser for him and actually contributed to his campaign. So um, and full disclosure. But, I mean, you had some able candidates, particularly out on the island in the, in the Hudson River Valley. And uh, they took advantage of, of what Zeldin did to turn the turn this into a, to turn the governor's race into a, a, a horse race. Well, Who Carl, Nassau five, County five in, ago, then, Nassau County and Suffolk County. Race. Are, are law-abiding counties. They care yep. about the law. And a lot of uh, New York City uh, people that, that care about the law, they have escaped and went to Nassau County and Suffolk County. Yeah, and it, uh, it showed. So uh, who would have thought that Florida would, would add four seats to the Congress, to the Republican ranks, and New York would add five and maybe six? Had a lot to do with the redistricting call. Yes, absolutely. Because and, the Democrats uh, try to take advantage of the districting process. They acted unlawfully in violation of the state constitutional amendments, and they got taken to the cleaners by good uh, by good litigators and by smart people who realized there was a, a flaw in the process. How about some may- maybe some honest judges once in a while? Yeah, cost her her chief exactly. judge spot. But the yes. chief judge, it cost her her job. They pushed her out. After the uh, redistrict. Wow. Mm. And uh, once again, we see the handy, handiwork of uh, Ed Cox and, and John Faso in that. They played a key role in uh, energizing and raising the money and making sure that the right lawyers were in place for that. But uh, And the people of New York who voted for a constitutional amendment that the uh, 
that the governor and her hench people in the legislature said, we don't care what the people said in the constitutional referendum. We're going to just do it our way. What's going on in the rest of it? We talked about Florida, big red wave in Florida. Last time, DeSantis won uh, by a quarter of a point or a half a point. And this time he won by almost 19 points against a, a name recognizable, Charlie Crisp was former governor. And he had good name recognition. I mean, it looks like they create, we've created a fort, a red fort in, in Florida and in Texas. What's going on in the rest of the country? I mean, I can't believe uh, some of those numbers. Well, uh, incidentally, the rest of the Florida story is they, they, they took over the last office, statewide office held by Democrats. And they have super majorities in the uh, Florida House and the Florida Senate. You're right. In Texas, our, our governor got reelected to entire Republican slate. Uh, we added to our numbers in the state legislature. We, uh, we added to uh, our, our number of uh, appellate judges reelected to the Supreme Court. The, another great place was the uh, state of uh, Georgia, where uh, Stacey Abrams was defeated by Brian Kemp and the entire Republican ticket swept in. By a healthy margin, uh, led by Brian Kemp, uh, and then the other news of the night is the other quintessential swing state, Ohio. Mike DeWine gets reelected by the governor of the state of Ohio, beating a popular mayor, the, uh, the mayor of Dayton, a major city in the state, by 26 points, and carried the entire Republican ticket in, including Supreme Court justices, which is important because, uh, for weird reasons. Next year, the Supreme Court is going to uh, redraw the lines for Congress. They, they, allowed, they allowed them to run this year under a set of lines, but, but are going to redraw them next year. And they have a supermajority in the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate. And nobody can remember when that last happened uh, in Ohio. So we had four governors that, that uh, ran very strong races and uh, helped grow their parties immensely. What do you think is going to happen in the battle for the control of the Senate call? Well, I'm, I've just arrived in Arizona, so I, I'm not yet on top of Arizona, but I spent this morning talking to Adam Laxalt, uh, who, who's up by about 15,000 votes. Now, That's he, in Nevada. He's pretty, yeah. yeah, in Nevada. Yeah, he's pretty bullish about it because this is, gets sort of semi-complicated. There are three, you know, there are people who send in their mail-in, who return their mail-in ballot before Election Day. There are people who then drop off their ballot at their polling place on Election Day. There are people who vote on Election Day. And then there are people who mail in their ballot uh, either like Saturday before the election or Monday or Tuesday. You can mail it in as long as it's postmarked by five o'clock on on Tuesday. And those can be received up until Friday. So, you know, they've they've counted a lot of ballots. Uh, the Laxalt campaign believes they're about a. Uh, 110,000 ballots out uh, as of yesterday. They believe now, they just, uh, Adam just put out a statement that the Clark County clerk just reported that there are 50,000 ballots left. That includes the election day drop off ballots, which he thinks a considerable number of those 50,000. And those tend to be good for Republicans. Republicans don't trust the mail and don't trust uh, the machine, so they want to drop off the ballot themselves. And then uh, there are some uh, in, there are 17 counties in the state, Washoe County, which is Reno, Clark County, which is Las Vegas, and then what are called the rurals. The rurals are going for Adam Laxalt by, by depending on the county, 75, 25, 80, 20. 
and there are another couple of thousand votes to come out of those counties. So he he thinks that um, there are only about 40,000 uh, ballots to be counted in uh, in in uh, Washoe County where he did all right. But the bottom line is he thinks that she that Cortez Master would have to take an extraordinary percentage of the of the outstanding ballots uh, by a margin that she's not receiving today. Uh, and that he'll hang on uh, to to win. Now, we'll see here as it all plays out, but he's sort of bullish on it. Again, we are speaking to the Honorable Carl Rove. Uh, Honorable Rove, so why we're we're seeing it throughout all the papers, the New York Post, even the Daily News. Everybody seems to be piling on Trump. They're blaming him for this red wave that never came. It turns into a a ripple, if if anything. What's your take on it? Well, look, this was supposed to be a referenda on the performance of the Biden administration. But looking at the exit polls or the the election analysis, as they're called at Fox, which involves tens of thousands of interviews, it's it's apparent that in significant parts of the country, this turned into a choice between who who do you want as the leader for the country, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? And we did not fare as well as we did when we kept the the, the uh, focus entirely on Joe Biden. And then we were saddled by candidates who the former president endorsed. And uh, and and uh, some of them were good, but a lot of them were bad. And some of them, even the good ones, uh, didn't have financial resources. J.D. Vance won in Ohio. Uh, he won by about nine points, I think it was, while uh, DeWine on the ballot above him is winning by 26 but uh, a group that I was associated with, Senate Leadership Fund, had to spend thirty-five million dollars in order to help him get it to get 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 past his Democrat opponent. And um, President Trump is sitting on a hundred million dollars, and has put it looks like somewhere less than ten million dollars into the campaigns. So if you're gonna if you're gonna nominate these people, in essence, by endorsing them and giving them your blessing, which a lot of Republicans said, if the if the former president is for him, I'm for him too. If you're going to do that, then you need to be helping him in the general election. And he had some bad choices and uh, in some of these people that he backed because he didn't do the homework necessary to vet them. And then when they got in, then then when people got into the general election, um, others had to ride to their rescue, not the former president. Do you think Trump so, should deliver? So you're, you're really upset about that, too. Yeah, I, I am, because look. We had the Ohio 11, just one example, Ohio 11. We had a great possibility of flip a previously Democrat district. Margie Kaptur, who's Marcy Kaptur, has been in there. She's, I think, the longest serving Democratic woman in the Congress today. And uh, we had a good chance to flip the district. And Trump endorsed a guy named Majewski. And he did so for one weird reason. This guy had a big lawn in a sort of semi-rural part of the district. And in 2000, he turned his lawn into a giant Trump display, pro-Trump display. So he decides to run for Congress. We have some local elected officials and legislators <laughs> who want to run. But, but Trump says, I like the guy who put up the big display. And the guy said, well, I'm a combat veteran and I'm, a, I'm, I'm America first Trumper. Well, it turned out he was not a combat veteran. He was in the Air Force, but he was a loader on the flight line and cutter for about three or four months. Did not serve in Iraq <laughs> or Afghanistan, and he claimed. He admitted that he'd been reduced in rank, but claimed it was he got in a fight in a bar or the next story was that he'd gotten in a fight in the in the base dormitory. Well, it turned out after 9-11, he's driving a gigantic truck on the on the on the base and is found to be drunk and disorderly. And then MPs have to arrest him and he gets reduced in rank. Well, that was our candidate. 
And, he, and, and, and the former president just liked him because he'd done the display and didn't have anybody close to him who was doing the kind of vetting to find out, is this going to blow up in our face? And I wish it was the only one. We had a number of them like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he gave out these endorsements and, without much attention to, to figuring out, was that the right person to run? What was the scoreboard, uh, Carl? Well, he's, he endorsed a large number of people, most of whom were Republican incumbents who didn't seek his endorsement or need his endorsement because they were in safe districts. A lot of, you know, Ronnie Jackson in Congressional District 13, Ronnie had a really tight race. He only got, I think, 77 percent of the vote, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So he, but if you look at the high profile ones, like in the Senate, Blake Masters, Adam Laxalt, Mehmet Oz, J.D. Vance, Ted Budd, Though they were, you know, he, he won three out of five. You look at these house races and, and, and you take the, the safe incumbents and put them aside and it gets to be not a very pretty sight. Endorses a guy named Bo Hines, young kid, from a, for, for a college football player, bright young guy, but no background in public policy, no background in public service, friend of a friend. And he's running in an open seat that should be Republican against a very accomplished young Democratic state legislator legislator and gets his clock cleaned. And, 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 and you know, why was t- we had state representative state senators who wanted to run in that district and Trump sort of said, no, I'm picking the guy who has no background or ability to mount a serious campaign. So somewhere That's down the line, you, there's going to be a fight for the leadership of the Republican Party. Is that correct? Well, there's going to be a there's going to be a fight to be the nominee of the party in 2024. Understood. That we, 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 you know, that's the, the, the nominal leader of our party is, is either the sitting president or the former president or the nominee of our party when we get into a presidential election. Sounds good. Uh, Carl Rove, thank you so much for bringing all our listeners up to date, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And now we have on the line uh, somebody we apparently owe a lunch or a dinner to. We owe him lunch. We owe him lunch. (laughs) And he's going to order, what, the porterhouse? Governor Andrew Cuomo, welcome back to Cats at Night. Lydia, I called to collect. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the reason Ed Cox is not in the studio today? That's right. That is exactly right. He didn't want to show up. Only Lydia Lydia and I had the courage to confront the governor. He called it. He said five points. He He, did say five points. He said five points, Hochul. You were the only one that was right on the money, so So the price is right. So let the record reflect that we do indeed owe the governor lunch. I thought it was a lot closer, but who knows? Well. Let's and let's just be on uh, the specifics matter here. It was not lunch; it was dinner. Ah. Yes, <laughs> I have two separate dinners: Cox and the Judge. Those are two separate dinners, and I think I mentioned a, a bottle of 1999 Barolo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Governor Patterson, you you'll Governor, I'm uh, thinking about the Zeldin campaign, and if you looked at where it was in the beginning of the year and where he wound up, he certainly uh, gave a great effort, and he assisted other Republicans who won a number of seats that no one expected they could win. But I thought that once Zeldin seemed to pull even with Governor Hochul, and there were polls, a couple of polls even showing him a point ahead of her, that he didn't grow as a candidate. He just continued to say the same things. And there were issues he never touched, like in his own area in Suffolk and Nassau County. There's a big problem with seniors now who can't 
afford to live in their own homes. In other words, because of inflation, they've retired. They're not getting the pensions that they uh, that can sustain living in a home. And there were a million issues he could have touched, but he just kept saying the same thing. And I think at, there's a point that the public gets tired of it. Yeah, no, I'm, I think you're exactly right, Gov. Uh, I'm with you. Let me make a couple of uh, points before. One, look, there was a a dissatisfaction with Democrats. It was true nationwide, and it was especially true in this state. Uh, Taxes are a problem. Um, I didn't really get much of an affirmative message from the Democrats about what they were going to do. It was just that they were not Zeldin. So there was a dissatisfaction with Democrats. Second, there wasn't a red wave, but there was a crime wave. Oh, very good. You talking about this. Uh, And you saw the crime wave hit. New York City sat on its hands. The turnout in New York City was about 10 points below what it should have been. Uh, And on Long Island, they didn't sit on their hands. They revolted right on the issue of crime. And why the Democrats, which I am still bewildered by, why they were so tongue tied on the issue of crime, I just don't understand. And uh, you had election deniers, but the Democrats were crime deniers. Uh, and they just didn't speak to the issue. Having said that, for Zeldin, who was had the abortion issue against him, had marriage equality against him, had guns against him, he's an election denier. Uh, <laughs> it was virtually impossible for him to win. But And I agree with you, Governor Patterson. He only spoke about crime. He didn't even talk about taxes. If he had talked about anything else, property taxes, Gov, which, you know, uh, cut all across the state. And by the way, the Democrats never even repealed the salt tax, which they had all promised. But he was a one issue candidate on crime. And in the parts of the state where crime isn't really a pressing issue, uh, he didn't resonate. But to come within five points. Uh, that, that's the closest race since George Pataki. I mean, so that is a real wake-up call, and it did cause Democrats. It caused Democrats precious congressional seats. And that was 28 years ago. Yes. I mean, it was, and George Pataki was a moderate. Uh, I don't think he was pro-choice, but he was close to pro-choice. I forget how he worded it. Zeldin was a rabid pro-lifer, always. Uh, you remember him from the, from the Albany days, Gov. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's on the wrong side of marriage equality, and he's on the wrong side of guns. I think in 2022 and, he voted for marriage equality, though. I think while he was in the Assembly, he didn't, but then in 20, when he became a congressman, he voted for marriage equality, right. I, I believe. That's right. He mixed. Yeah, I think he mixed. changed his mind. It right. was mixed. But where, where would they, he have voted for it if he was in Congress? Because I, I they didn't... Wait. No, no, the report, no, the, David, the reporting was that there was a congressional... What the, whether it was a resolution, whether it was a piece of legislation, I don't know. But he voted, that's the reporting was that he voted for marriage equality when he was in Congress. Okay. Yeah, but Judge, the governor's right. There was no vote. It, the Supreme Court determined that marriage equality right. uh, was, was uh, uh, nationally recognized. Uh, but New York State, we were the first big state to pass marriage equality. So, and marriage equality, by the way, is now 70% nationwide. So he is a real rabid conservative. Uh, and for him to come within five points, 
It's well, I guess it, it, uh, Governor, I guess it really shows what you said, which is that there was a crime wave. And the crime wave isn't always just the number of crimes because it still uh, lags a little bit behind where it was 30 years ago. But it's also the fear of crime and the fact that we see the crimes on TV now. We've seen all three of those people get thrown on the subway tracks in the last few weeks. They were all televised. Yeah. And look, somebody said it this morning. I think Reverend Sharpton was saying it for the Democrats to say to people who say, I'm afraid of crime. The Democrats say, well, you have no reason to be afraid. You know, you can't deny a person's emotion and say, well, if you read the statistics, uh, blah, 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 blah. What do you mean? I'm afraid they're going to throw me on the tracks. I'm afraid to walk down the streets. Uh, you hear people talking about old timers like me saying it's it's almost as bad as it was in the 80s and the 90s. You know, uh, no, it's a real problem. And I don't get why the Democrats can't admit it. I just don't get it. I think they're afraid of the far left who won't let you say uh, the four letter word. And the four letter word they won't let you say is J-A-I-L. <laughs> and the truth is some people are dangerous. And for society to be safe, they have to be put in jail. We have the most progressive criminal justice policies in the nation. But still, some people have to be in jail for a period of time to keep people safe. And the left intimidates. And Governor Patterson saw this firsthand. The far left on the Democratic Party is the tail that wags the donkey and the moderates are afraid of the left and they don't want to say anything that's going to cause them any heartburn. And they ran around saying, what crime problem? What crime? I don't see a crime and, problem. And Governor, we've seen it even as the election ends now that the uh, far left part of the party is attacking Mayor Adams for just pointing out everything that you just said. Well, that's the craziest thing. Mayor Adams runs as a poli former police officer to clean up the city. Uh, that was his whole campaign. That's why he's elected. And the far left is saying he played into the Republicans' hands. That's what I mean, CNN said. Governor Cuomo, we have to wrap. I'm sorry, because we have to go to a break. Quick question. I, I had some video today that I took myself of subway riders, none of whom paid the fare. Four cops were nearby watching it all go down. And yet... Governor Hochul has approved this congestion tax at $23 a day. Why should we New Yorkers have to pay a tax to make up for an MTA shortfall that could easily be made up if people just paid the fare? Lydia, it is crime. You need more police. And by the way, you need police who police. And the police don't police anymore because you have district attorneys who say, I'm not going to charge that case. And you so, have police officers that are scared to do the arrest. Exactly right. Well, they're, they're scared to do it, John, because if they get caught on a video, uh, then they can have a problem uh, if they do anything wrong. And why should I arrest this guy when the DA is not going to prosecute anyway? And the so judge can't hold them in because it's not bail eligible. That's right. That's right.
Well, Governor, just run up that bill on Weinberg and Cox. I'm going to enjoy hearing about this lunch when it's over. Well, I think I got a guest who also that we talked about, and and you're my guest, Governor Patterson. So, oh, let's now I'm really afraid we're going to have dinner tonight, and I'll be there to take video of all of this. Okay, thank you, Governor Cuomo, and uh, thank you for coming on and keeping the uh, uh, people of New York and, and uh, well, we're on the whole East Coast right now, so keeping them informed. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Have Thank you. And, and now we have on the line uh, Congressman-elect Assemblyman Mike Lawler. Congratulations and welcome back to Cats at Night. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Mike, you, you are now the new rock star. You know that, don't you? <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a great team effort and uh, I appreciate uh, everybody's support. We, um, we had a great victory on Tuesday night. But it really was not about me. It really came down to the fact that voters in my district were extremely dissatisfied with what was going on uh, in our state. Uh, As I've said many times, this is the first time in our nation's history that Democrats controlled everything in Washington, Albany and New York City all at once. And when you look at the issues, whether it's inflation, whether it's crime, whether it's congestion pricing, whether it's education or energy prices, people were just fed up and they wanted change. And I think obviously the redistricting fiasco that took place uh, in New York uh, created an opportunity this year for Republicans. And I mean, we picked up four seats and we're going to be sending 11 members to Congress. So it was uh, it was a big win on Tuesday night. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. And uh, you you took out for people that don't know. I mean, somebody has to describe what he did because people don't know. Mm-hmm. You took out the poster boy of the Democratic Party. He was the head of uh, well, what was he, Governor Patterson? He was the chair of the Democratic uh, uh, campaign committee and uh, for, for the House for, for the House. Sean Patrick Maloney. He was the poster boy. Committee. Well, I mean, th- this is the equivalent. Mike Lawler taking that incumbent out is the same as AOC taking out Crowley, who would have been the next speaker of the House of Representatives. It does very big, interesting but, comparison. Yeah, but it's a very least, big deal. Yeah, but Sean Patrick Maloney actually campaigned, whereas Crowley didn't. And that's <laughs> yeah. how a, a bartender well, won. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll say this. I mean, he really only campaigned in the final three weeks that's once true. he uh, freaked out and realized that he was about to lose. And then he tried to call in Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, J- Jill Biden, Joe Biden. Um, And it didn't work because uh, voters realized that he was not focused on doing their business, but rather focused on doing the bidding of Nancy Pelosi. I mean, just a month ago, he was traveling to to Paris and London and Geneva to raise money uh, for Pelosi and, and the Democrats to try and keep them in power. While I was out doing six, seven, eight events a day of barnstorming the district for six months. And I think it paid off dividends, uh, obviously, on Election Day. Assemblyman Mike Lawler, we just have a, a minute left now that you'll be a congressman. Congressman elect. Okay, okay, Congressman elect. <laughs> <laughs> now that you, well, it was, I was kind of doing a segue into now that you'll be part of Congress, what are you going to do to stop the congestion pricing? Real quick. Uh, listen, that, that is one of my top priorities. As I said during the campaign, uh, I will use uh, the legislative process to do what we can to unwind New York's disastrous congestion pricing plan. It is nothing more than a tax on suburban and outer borough commuters, and it needs to be stopped dead in its tracks. Mike Lawler, thank you. Congratulations again, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. 
It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And on the line with us right now, intrepid investigative journalist extraordinaire John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com with that breaking news. What do you have for us, John Solomon? Well, it's three days after the election, and we're still counting in all the same places we were still counting after 2020, Nevada, Arizona, two of the big cases. And, of course, now we're going to have an overtime election in Georgia. The latest, Maricopa County, the largest county in Arizona, has 400,000 ballots still uncounted, but they've begun an audit, even though they haven't finished counting. That has a lot of people scratching their head. But the good news how, is, how is that possible? How is that possible? It, it, it's, it defies all common sense, but that's what they're doing. They say they want to speed up the process. So the ballots that aren't in doubt, they're going to audit already, and then they'll count the other ones, and then they'll finish the audit. But a lot of people are wondering, why does it take three days to finish the count? And I think uh, there's some good updates, though. We were able to get where the outstanding vote is. We just talked to Carrie Lake just a few moments ago, and she says that she, uh, she believes the remaining vote for her is going to break about 60% her way, and she expects to overtake Katie Hobbs and be declared the victor this weekend. And she believes most of the Republican slate, which is down just a half point to a point, uh, will, will be pulled across the finish line with these late votes that are coming in because they're all day of votes, Republican votes. The only one that's really in doubt is whether Blake Masters, who's a little bit further behind at four or five points, can catch up. But that's a big one in Nevada. We just got an update from Adam Laxalt's campaign. Uh, they expect to have the final votes uh, counted uh, by tomorrow morning and a victor to Cleared. Adam locks out the Republicans up about 25,000 votes, and the outstanding vote seems to be slightly more Republican than Democrat, and so there's an expectation that he might emerge as the winner. If that happens, uh, then we all eyes are on Georgia in the first week of December because the runoff will determine once again what, what the composition of the U.S. Senate will be. Where do we stand right now as far as the numbers for the Senate and the House? We have 49 certain seats for uh, Republicans, 48 certain seats for Democrats, one outstanding undeclared from election night, which is uh, actually two outstanding from the election night, Arizona and Nevada. Arizona, the Democrats up a lot. Nevada, the Republicans up a little. And then Georgia will automatically be decided in December by the runoff, getting rid of the Libertarian. It becomes a two-man race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Wow. And uh, we won't know till December 6th, and then maybe a little bit thereafter. Uh, Who takes control? So, John Solomon, there is now a lot of blame going towards Trump. What are you hearing on the ground? Is he going to delay his announcement that is expected to happen on the 15th? I don't think so as of right now. The latest update I got is that he's sticking to that plan and hopes to, uh, to make that announcement next Tuesday. Yeah, listen, I think when the smoke clears from this, people are going to find out that the vote actually was uh, a little bit better. There are some unusual candidate conditions that I think have to be reviewed. Candidates do matter. And I think in this election, Republicans won the popular vote, unlike 2020. They won the popular vote um, by quite a bit. But in some races, there were some very significant ticket splitting. Some three, four, five, six, seven-point differences between the Republican in a race, uh, a statewide race, and another Republican in a statewide race or in a congressional district. A congressman got a lot of the votes, but the statewide candidate who had trouble connecting with voters did not. 
I think with a little bit of candidate selection dial change, this would have been a much larger election because when you look at the overall vote, Republican preference uh, in statewide and nationwide voting, Republicans won the, the, the uh, overall national count by quite a margin, which normally doesn't happen. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic uh, if you're a Republican. The, the candidate selection, I think, came down to a lot of it. And then I think in a few states where abortion matters were on the um, – uh, as, a, as an initiative, a ballot initiative, Democrat voter got drove up a little higher than in other states. Here's a real troubling number for Republicans. This is the number that has to be resolved before 2024. Most of the people I said today, uh, 70% of unmarried women, 70% of unmarried women voted for Democrats in this election. It's the only group out of married and unmarried wow. men and women that voted Democrat, but they voted by... Do we have the racial makeup majority. of those women? 70% of unmarried women voted for Democrats. Do we have the racial right. makeup of it? Uh, we is do it, not is, yet. We're going to do some craft. Is, it, is, that, is it the abortion issue? Married men. Unmarried men and married women all went Republican this election. That's another sign. That normally doesn't happen in elections. It's much more muddied. So uh, it's that 70% that needs to be addressed by the Republicans. If that's uh, with the um, unmarried women, is that abortion, do you think? Is that is. did, did uh, creating that lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court create a banana peel uh, for the Republican Party? Certainly in that demographic, that was one of the issues that unmarried women identified was more important to them than even inflation, whereas other subcategories identified inflation as being more important. In some cases, too, it was purely a situation where uh, women didn't have a connection to one of the candidates. And so women were ticket splitters in a pretty significant way this election. And I think those are two of the big lessons, that Republicans have to have a better message and a better connectivity to unmarried women. And two, I think they got to reevaluate a couple of the candidates that got and then remember, Democrats spent a lot of money in the primaries trying to elect the Republican they thought was weaker. They did that in six congressional races. All six of those Republicans lost. The Democrats picked the one they could then defeat. I think that's another thing Republicans are going to have to evaluate after this election. Another thing I read about is that Republicans had more uh, Hispanic candidates that won than yes. ever before. I know we have a minute left. So um, did you hear the same thing? Absolutely. And Hispanic vote broke much more significantly to Republicans. That is one of the storylines that's great. The national vote is great. There's a lot of optimistic signs for Republicans going to 2024. They just got to clean up a couple of these issues like candidate selection and figuring out how to talk to unmarried women. And there's a good recipe for 2024. Well, that's right, because Hispanics, they believe in their faith, their family, their country, their God. And that's not really representative of, of the Democrat Party. But thank you so much, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. Thank you, John. Thanks, guys. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now we're going to talk about a subject John knows a lot about, right, John? Well, the stock market has gone up 1,200 points today. And based that that uh, CPI went down a little bit, so I can't figure it out. So I need two of them to figure mm-hmm. it out. We have with us uh, Steve Moore and Ryan Payne and... Uh, Tell us what's going on, guys. Well, I'll go first. <laughs> go ahead, Steve. Go ahead, Steve. Well, just just very quickly. I mean, you know, rem- do you remember a couple months ago, um, John, when uh, when uh, President Biden said, "Oh, we have zero inflation," 
<laughs> because the inflation rate had been 8.2% one month, and the next month it was 8.2%. So since it didn't go up, he said it, we had zero inflation. And so now there's this talk about, how, oh, we have negative. Now I guess you can say we're negative inflation because we did see some improvement in the inflation rate. I'll just simply say this. Ryan's more the expert on, you know, why the market does what it does. But, you know, we still have near 8% inflation over the last year, John. And that is, you know, it's not put, putting any lipstick on that pig. We still have a lot of work to do in terms of cutting government spending and debt and getting, uh, you know, the the uh, the supply of, uh, as you said last night at our dinner, we got to supply more of our oil and gas to helping prices down. But we still, I guess the bottom line here is, John, we still have a mega inflation problem in this country. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, I'll piggyback off that. I mean, I think you're right. Inflation is still extremely high, right? We're still at the highest inflation since 1982. So, we do have our work cut out for us, but I think you remember with the market, the market's forward-looking. It's not concerned about what's happening today. And I think what you saw today is a ray of hope, because if we start mm-hmm. seeing inflation come down, you know, the real question is, will the Fed back off on raising interest rates? And that's been the yeah. big question, and that's what's been weighing on markets. So, you know, I think we're starting to see those numbers come down a little bit. Maybe Jay Powell will give us a uh, Christmas miracle. Um, and, you know, maybe they'll, they'll only raise interest rates 50 basis points in December and we'll have a Santa Claus rally. We'll see. You know, I hate for the Fed to be a Grinch around Christmas, personally. Um, you know, guys, the American people don't want a recession. I put out, I got interviewed uh, by uh, Yahoo today, and, and, and uh, my interview went uh, spread worldwide, uh, that the fact is uh, Jay Powell says, put his foot down and he's going to keep raising interest rates. You know, and we, me and you, and, and at last night's dinner, uh, Steve Moore, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we, we, we reiterated uh, that uh, uh, why not fix the problem and just instead of breaking, breaking something else? Yeah, so basically what the Fed wants to do is, you know, lower demand for goods and services by raising interest rates. And, and my point was, that you, the what you should do, and I think John, you were you made this point even more powerful than me. If we increase the supply of our goods and services, especially our oil, our gas, our coal, all of our energy, so we're producing more of it, that will bring you. If you have a higher supply of something, that brings its price down. And then, John, I think now that Republicans have control of the House of Representatives, they have got to get control of the. Uh, you know, multi-trillions of dollars of spending that we're doing. And I, those two things, I think, maybe Ryan, I'd love his thoughts about this. I think that might have a better, you know, hand, get us a better handle on inflation without ruining the economy than continuing to raise interest rates. Ryan yeah, Payne? I agree. With, yeah, I don't think you want to ruin the fact that we have low unemployment. You know, it, it seems foolish to me. I mean, it just sounds backwards, and I'm not an economist. Uh, Steve, maybe you can attest to this, but why would we ever want to increase the unemployment rate. Right, Why do we want right. less people working in America? I mean, that just seems so counterintuitive. Why do you want and to I, break? I why, why don't you fix the problem instead of breaking and creating another problem? Yeah. yeah. Well, and we just had a recession. And <laughs> well, it's, it's a recession. And what my uh, uh, interview today was, I said, they're going to cause a depression instead of just a recession. 
Could be. I mean, people are very worried about the direction of the economy right now, especially as we head into 2023. And, uh, you know, you're right. We need growth policies, not austerity policies. Now, I happen to think that cutting government spending is a growth policy, not an austerity policy. <laughs> and when you've had a president who's added $4 trillion to our debt in, in two years, that means it's time to turn this, that federal government spigot off. I Well, you know, they got to do something. And uh, the, the way we fix inflation, like we always talked about, was to open up the spigots in North America. Larry Kudlow was with us last night yeah, at he dinner. Made that point. And he, he made – Larry Kudlow is now a believer. Open up the spigots in North America. And I further said, you can't just open up the spigots. You have to have a long-term program. Yes. A long-term yes, program, pipeline. like a 10-year program. If, you, if we want these refineries to yeah. build yeah. additional refineries, additional pipelines, additional to make North America a, uh, what do you call it, Judge? A, um, an energy, an energy independent. Saudi uh, Arabia. Uh, yeah, energy <laughs> independent. Saudi America. Then, then for 10 years, you, you got to give a 10-year program where you, you don't change every two years based on the mood of a Congress. That's right. That's right. Well, it's a good point, too, because peak oil demand is still a decade away, right? We're not going to be less reliant on fossil fuels. It's actually going to increase over the next decade. And those, you know, those stats have never really changed. So we really should have changed our, our, our policy on on energy, because the reality of it is we knew we were going to need more fossil fuels over the next couple of years. And my fear is when China fully comes out of lockdown, what's that going to do to demand? And are we going to see prices skyrocket again over $100 a barrel if we don't start pumping more? Now, I think what, that's a real issue. What are we going to do when uh, the, the governor of uh, uh, California and the governors of other states said, oh, we're going to stop selling uh, only electric cars by 2035? First of all, our grid system can't take it. Second of all, it's not going to happen. And General Motors is busy building electric cars. I mean, my personal opinion, just only my personal opinion, for my personal accounts, I would short General Motors if they, they're yeah, making those too. kind of stupid decisions. Do you know what percentage of new cars today that are bought are um, electric vehicles, John? 10%. About, I'm going to say half a percent. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's about five or six percent. But given okay, that well. you know they they're making all of so you know who's going to decide what what cars people are going to drive? The consumer the buy the cars. hundred <laughs> percent. The producers. Yeah. Now, one other point I wanted to make on on inflation that makes me a little nervous. It is true, gas prices have come down, and that's a that's a nice thing. Although they're so yeah, but they can't re- they can't you know but, they can't release any more reserve because we're going to run out of reserve. No, well, this is my point. Have you seen what's happened to the diesel? Costs diesel is now over five dollars. It was two. It was it's doubled under Trump. And guess what? Everything gets delivered to your door, or the you know the food, all that stuff is delivered on trucks. They use diesel. Yes, every every input to inflation goes back to oil. Every single input, yep. right? We got a minute or so left. Give, give us a thirty seconds apiece. Ryan. All right. Yeah. I'll go first. All right. Well, first off, you should listen to Steve and I every Saturday. Larry Kudlow, our number one show on Saturdays, is on from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Yeah. And you guys go on from 1 to 2 o'clock. 
So keep listening is what I'm trying to say. Keep listening. Don't stop. I'll try to help the um, economy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just say one quick point. Look, I mean, the, the economy is in pretty good shape. Uh, if you're going to get invested, don't wait. You can see how quickly the market can move positively here. Um, I, you know, I think you got to be optimistic here, not pessimistic. And I'm happy, even though it wasn't the election night that I would have liked to have seen as a Republican, John, as, as uh, you said last night and Larry Kudlow said, you, Nancy Pelosi no longer has the gavel. You have a Republican House. We don't know what's going to happen with the Senate. So I think that kind of gridlock is a good thing for America. You're right. You're right. Well, thank you guys for coming on. And um Let's pray it goes up another 1,200 points tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and God bless you guys, and God bless America. And, and like I, we always said that. America does not want a recession. They're trying to force it into a recession. 100%, but I'm always bullish on America, so be bullish. We, well, I'm bullish. I love America. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, you, you, All right, guys. Take care. Thank you. Take care, guys. All right. And now on the line with us, a congressman-elect, Nick Langworthy. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's I heard you only won by 30 points. That's it? I, I, I only got 67% of the vote. But uh, <laughs> we're very, very honored to be representing the Southern Tier in Erie County and Congress in the year ahead and be part of what will be uh, – a Republican majority with a big, a huge delegation from New York, the biggest in 20 years that the Republicans have sent to Congress. Well, between New York and, and Florida, you guys are the whole increase in the whole Congress. What happened to the rest of the country? You know, there's a, a, a lot that's happened uh, uh, in, in these elections. I mean, I don't think maybe uh, the pollsters should be too confident in, in their own industry. Uh, because there's a whole lot of polls that were wrong out there across the country. But, you know, it's um, it may not have been a tidal wave, but we had a good red wave here in New York, um, you know, winning every seat on Long Island, winning, you know, two of the three seats in the Hudson Valley. We held a, uh, a really tough seat in Syracuse. Uh, and, you know, electing 11 members, it's a big task. So, um, it wouldn't have been possible without Ed Cox and John Faso and the team that put together the redistricting lawsuit. And we took on the Democrats when they tried to steal power. Now, that's absolutely correct, uh, Mr. Chairman. I, I want to say to you, I've been looking for the Republican wave, and I could only find it in Florida and in New York. Everywhere else, I couldn't find it. What do you say to that? Well, there was a DeSantis wave in Florida, that's for sure. I mean, freedom uh, freedom was on the ballot, and people were, were signing up. Uh, I mean, the fact that he won by a million and a half votes, that had to have tremendous uh, uh, down-ballot uh, uh, implications and help uh, elect a lot of Republicans. But i gotta get, I got to take my hat off to uh, uh, the man that made us very proud, Lee Zeldin, because his candidacy and the issues that he took on in the campaign that he ran across New York – uh, taking that campaign to every corner of the state, that gave uh, all of our down-ballot candidates so much strength and support. Uh, he, drew, he drew out a massive vote across the state. I mean, the fact that the Republican nominee, you know, got over 47 uh, percent of the vote uh, is, is massive. And, uh, it was only really 300,000 votes, and 350,000 uh, New Yorkers fled uh, to Florida. Now, 
Let's get down to the bottom of it. Who's going to be, are you going to maintain the chairmanship of the uh, New York State uh, Republican Party, or are there people that are going to be nominated to come in that position? Well, I think we'll have an orderly transition early early next year. I'll step aside, you know, probably shortly after getting sworn into Congress. I mean, we have to let the dust settle on this election. We're only a few days removed. And, you know, it, it is next year is a local election year, but we have to get ready for the presidential year. I don't think I have enough bandwidth in my life. We just had uh, another child. Uh, we, we, we brought a, a little boy uh, home. Thank you. Uh, little Oliver uh, was born on the 12th of October. Um, and uh, I have a very patient wife, uh, but I don't think uh, they're adding any more hours to my day. So I, I, I don't think it would be a doing a, a service uh, to anybody for me to try to overextend. And uh, we'll put together a transition you know, period. And you're not ready to talk about the leading candidates yet? I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I think it, you got to see who comes forward and uh, really, you know, look at the record in, in what people Understood. bring to the table. I mean, Nick Langworthy, thank you. Sure. Congratulations, uh, Congressman-elect Nick Langworthy. And uh, and uh, we're at the end of our show. And guys, what do we stand for in this show? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.